The Lord be with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. Indeed, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, young and old, gather together out of a chill April rain in a warm, hospitable service of worship to sing, speak, and listen in praise of God. We pray you experience the warmth of our worshiping community, whether you are here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, listening over the airwaves on WBUR 90.9 FM, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening on the podcast. As the warmth of Divine Presence relaxes stiff muscles and thaws out chilled bones, we hope you will reach out as the Spirit calls you to respond in writing or by email, to offer prayerful and financial support, and to come and worship with us here some Sunday morning. It is our great joy this morning to welcome to the pulpit the Reverend Professor Peter Gomes, Plumber Professor of Christian Morals and Pusey Minister in the Memorial Church at Harvard University. Professor Gomes and our Dean here at Marsh Chapel, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, have exchanged pulpits this morning. Our prayers and blessings remain with each as their exchange enriches our worshiping communities. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Dear friends, please be seated and enter into a time of silent confession during the singing of the Kyrie.
Dearly beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the Revelation to St. John, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing, To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verses from Psalm 30 with the Antiphon. drawn me up. 
and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For God's anger is but a moment, God's favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Glory to you, o Lord. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, 
for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the, to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Help us, Lord, to become masters of ourselves, that we may become the servants of others. Take our hands and work through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire for Christ's sake. Amen. It is a great joy for me to worship with God's people on this side, the Charles River, for a change. And I thank you for the hospitality of this chapel. We have been friends for a very long time. And I'm pleased that the record shows that Dr. Buttrick, my predecessor, and Howard Thurman here exchanged pulpits many years ago. I was last with you some years ago and rejoice today that I'm able to be back and that Dean Hill is holding forth at this very hour in Cambridge. I can only hope that his reception there is as warm as mine has been here. I take as my text the 14th verse of John's Gospel where it says, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The third time 
after he was raised from the dead. Well, today is the second Sunday after Easter, and the Easter festival is but a happy but slightly dim memory for most of us. To my congregation of last Sunday in the Memorial Church, the so-called Low Sunday in the liturgical year, I began by saying, well, here we are, but where are they? And you all know who the they are. They being the thousands that throng our doors and yours on Easter day. I have no problem with them. I do not belong to the school of clerical philosophy which says when you get Easter Christians together, damn them and humiliate them and wish them Happy Christmas and Happy New Year and all of that sort of thing. No, I don't do that. In fact, I congratulate them for having the good sense to know that if there's only one Sunday in which you should be in church, Easter Sunday is that day. They may be many things, but they're not dumb. They're there, and God bless them for it. But they do not seem to know that every Sunday is Easter Day. They do not seem to know that we worship on Sunday and not on the biblical Sabbath because Jesus rose and established new life on Easter Day, first day of the week. And do they not know that he is as much risen and alive today as he was risen and alive two weeks ago. Sometimes I'd like to tell them it's really true, and it's true every Sunday. The essence of the New Testament is the resurrected Jesus. It consumes St. Paul. It energizes the early Christians and it defined and formed the church. No resurrection, no church. That is why these post-Easter appearances of Jesus are so important in the New Testament and hence are so important to us. Three times after his resurrection, he appears to his disciples. Three times. He manifests himself to their surprise and amazement. And three times he defies the reality of his world and ours. Dead men tell no tales, we are told, much less walk around and teach and preach, and much less do so three times. We are wise to pause and wonder what is going on. My students in preaching at Harvard Divinity School do not like to preach on these post-resurrection texts. They say that Easter itself is hard enough to handle without all these other appearances. They recall the response of the disciples who when they heard from the women on Easter morning 
that they had seen Jesus, that he was risen as he said he would, he recalls their response. It seemed to them an idle tale, an act of hysterical, wishful thinking. The testimony of women early in the morning. But the point of these appearances after Easter is to demonstrate to us the credibility of Jesus. He said he would rise from the dead, and he did. He showed himself to his believers, who at first, like Thomas, were not so easily persuaded. But I want to suggest that the greatest of the gospel writers emphasized these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, not so much to prove the resurrection, but to give authority to the teaching and preaching of Jesus. If he was right on this core event, then we had better pay closer attention to the other things he said and did. Easter is not so much concerned with the phenomenon of Easter morning as it is with living the Christian life. Easter is more about life than it is about death, and we would be the living wise to remember that. Remember when they recognized Jesus after his resurrection, it was always in a familiar setting, doing his customary thing. They recognized him in the breaking of bread and at breakfast on the beach. And in these familiar settings, they were reminded of his teaching and his preaching. When we try to turn the resurrection into a fantastical reversal of nature, which of course it is, or an esoteric philosophical doctrine, which to many it remains, we lose out on the simple essential fact that Jesus came to teach us about love and life. These two things are at the heart of his message, and that is why Easter is important for us to remember, to consider, and experience. Love and life. Loving and living. That is what it is all about. Now, the matter of love, I know, is almost a dangerous cliche for us to speak about, even in church. I love Coke, and I love Jesus. The same word, same phrase. Somehow, one is diminished by the other. But the most important and the most familiar verse in all of Scripture speaks boldly and unashamedly of love. And that, of course, is John 3.16, where it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. From this verse, we learn two important things. 
The characteristic nature of God is love. And that God loves the world. That means us and all that is around us. Now there is a temptation on the part of many, perhaps even some of you, to despise the world, to see it only in its banality, its ugliness, its horror, and its terror. The world is a fallen place, we all know that, and no good or little can come from it, we believe. Every day that view of the world is reinforced by what we read, what we see, and what we hear. I do not put my car radio on the news when I commute from Plymouth to Cambridge and back again because the news is too depressing. And I do not want to start the day on the downside. I almost feel the same way about listening to the 11 o'clock news before I go to bed. Who wants to go to bed with these grim final images of a world out of control on our hearts and minds? Nothing that Emily Rooney says or does to make it any better than it is. And yet this very world is the world that God loves, presumably as it is. Loved it so much that in the form of his son Jesus, he ended it and took upon himself its sorrows, its sadness, and its passions. And we must remember that the last word Jesus gave to us in the form of his Thursday night sermon was a word about love. A new commandment give I unto you that ye love one another even as I have loved you so love ye one another. That commandment supersedes all of the others. And what is more moving for us than when from the very cross of crucifixion the next day, his commandment in love of his mother to John and of John to his mother, that is an act of pure love. An Easter Christian is one who in the name of the risen Christ loves the world. We do this not in some abstract way, but in the very concrete world of loving those who live in the world. I'm not very much for lapel buttons, but I recently saw one which I was tempted to wear. It said, if you love God, love God's people. If you love God, love God's people. I liked that. There was something about that that I wished to hand out at every demonstration that I found myself in, where people, in the name of God, do such hateful things. If you love God, love God's people. 
even if they are on the wrong side of your political agenda. There is a direct connection between loving God and loving what God has made. It is the best argument I know both for ecology on the one hand and human charity on the other. We've tried everything else. Why not try this and see what happens? An Easter Christian is about love, but an Easter Christian is also about life and living. I know brave Christian souls who say, I do not fear death, and good for them. But what about those who fear life? What about those who are afraid to take a step who do not dare to take on life fully or freely or bravely, who perhaps cower in fear at the prospects of living in the world or taking on its responsibilities. I know many such people. I know so many people who are so careful, so cautious, so tidy that life passes them by. They take no notice of the world and the world takes no notice of them. And sad to say, such people often like church. This is not life. This is not living. It is merely existence. Life is full of risks and dangers and challenges. And if we live it at all, we take them on. My students at Harvard often say that they don't dare do anything until all of their plans are in place. Well, we know what that means. They will never do anything because their plans will never be in place. They say a way to make God laugh is to show him your plans. And there may be some truth in that. Life, I'd like to think, is improvisation, not planning. And a Christian is one who improvises by the grace of God in a world which God loves. If you want a formula, a recipe, a way to manage as an Easter Christian, that may very well be it. What I like most about these post-Easter uh, appearances of Jesus is the sense, however oddly put, that he is not yet eager to be done with the world. There is the sense that he wants to stick around, that there is still work to do, that he is still Emmanuel, still with us. It doesn't end with the cross, and it doesn't end with Easter morning. 
Indeed, he is still with us in the world of his love and in the world of his compassion. Except now, his work is ours to do. We take up the work of love where he left off. We take up the work of life where he left off. And whenever we seek to help, whenever we seek to do ordinary things well, whenever we pause to give thanks or to offer assistance, we know that we are doing God's work in the world and that he is still with us. We must never imagine a world or a God, a God absent from a world, or a world without God. We could never imagine a God who abandons his creation or who brings his love for the world to an end. Easter reminds us that the love of God for us and the creation goes on forever. It never ends. Even death itself cannot stop it. In this God, we are meant to triumph over both life and death. We triumph over death by losing our fear of it. And we triumph over life by living it fully and in love. These are the lessons the Lord has taught us. And we rejoice as Easter Christians in learning to keep them. God is still with us. And for that we say, thanks be to God. Amen.
please be seated. As we are called to prayer this morning through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the ways that will help you best to support the prayers of this congregation. Please come and kneel or stand at the altar rail, raise your hands in place, respond in your first language, however you are so moved in prayer this morning. I will set the intention. If you would please respond in your grace, hear our prayer. Beloved, let us pray. You who are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community, we who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source and Christ and spirit for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. For ourselves, as individuals, and for the communities of which we are a part, for our particular ministries in the world, for our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life, for the ministry of all our brothers and sisters in campus ministry, remembering with gratitude especially this day the ministry of Peter Gomes and his colleagues at Harvard University, for the work of all the church. In your grace, hear our prayer. For our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions other than our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all, for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, 
Spirit. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations and joys of our human life. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray in trust, as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. A warm word of welcome once again to the Reverend Professor Peter Gomes for bringing the word to us this morning. Thank you and blessings on your continued ministry at Harvard. We would note that tomorrow the chapel office and facility is closed for Patriots Day. Uh, regular activities are therefore canceled, but we will resume our regularly, regular weekly activities on Tuesday. Uh, also to note that next Sunday is Student Life Sunday. Uh, our Dean of Students, Kenneth Elmore, will be joining us for a moment of remembrance of Howard Thurman and the celebration of student life across the university. We hope you will join us. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
O most gracious and merciful God, of whose bounty we have all received, accept this offering of your people. Remember in your great love those who have brought it and those for whom it is given. And so follow it with your blessing that it may promote peace, love, and goodwill among all people. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. day and remain with you all forever. Amen. 